Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time-poor but enthusiasm-rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Kate Jones. Hello. I'm, well, I'm really pleased to be here again. <laughs> so thank you for asking me. It's great to have you here. And Shannon Doherty. Hello. The focus of this episode is going to be your new book, Kate, Smashing Glass Ceilings. Now, you've written eight hugely successful books, contributed to countless publications, and really taken the world by storm with your ability to distill research into retrieval practice in a way that's useful for teachers. I mean, no more was that more evident than last Tuesday at the Ambition Institute webinar, where I thought you did a cracking job of making really complex material really, really accessible to the to the audience. And I mean, nobody would have blamed you for taking your foot off the pedal. What inspired you to write Smashing Glass Ceilings? Well, thank you for those kind words. I, I appreciate that. Um, this book is really different to all the other books. I mean, there was four books just about retrieval practice and they were all teaching and learning and research and resources. Um, and like Shannon's book, really practical for the classroom. Um, but I suppose it was two different reasons. All my books were with the publisher, John Catt. And then a different publisher contacted me, Routledge, about the possibility of writing with them. And I, I, I've read lots of their books. I was very open to that. And I had this idea already because I was getting quite a lot of messages, not just from women, um, but from people in education who perhaps would see me at a conference that I was speaking at in Germany, where you both were, um, or Stockholm, Chile, all these sorts of things. And people say, well, how did you get into that? How, how did you start doing that? Or um, I'd like to write for the TES, or I'd like to publish a book. And lots of questions, and I always try and give as much help and advice as I can. But I thought, actually, there's so much that I could talk about that I could put this in a book. And there are lots of women in education writing books, doing podcasts, speaking at conferences. But we know there needs to be more, especially considering how the profession is dominated by women. So women are fantastic and they say be 10% braver and put yourself out there and do that. Um, and I think this sort of almost like leads on from that in, in the sense of gives you tips how to do that, how to launch a podcast, how to um, or tips for blogging, how to get a publisher, things you need to think about, things you might not be aware of because writing the book is only one element. There's also, you know, the editing stage, the getting the reviews, the self-promotion of a book, which a lot of authors, I think probably especially women, can struggle with. Um, so yeah, all those things I thought, right, I've got a lot of experience I've gained in the last few years. I'm gonna put all that into this book. I think if I were to just add, add something, um... I know from kind of knowing Kate from the online world and the conference world, I think it's probably fair to say that you have uh, been on the receiving end of some unfair treatment every now and then from yeah. kind of people organising conferences. And I know you, like you've recommended me a few times to to speak at things. You've always been very transparent about kind of what you're getting paid and what I should ask for, because you think that that is important and that doesn't happen very often people aren't very forthcoming with that information and you can you can really tell I think that you are in it for the greater good and in it for everyone particularly women to be successful and to empower them to get what they deserve 
And that's something that I think, you know, when you said you were writing this book, I kind of went, oh, yeah, that of course you are. That makes sense, because that's what you do day to day. You do empower women. <clears throat> you reach out to women online and say you're doing a great job. I know when I wrote my book, you you were one of my biggest kind of uh, cheerleaders on Twitter. And that's before we'd even really ever met properly. So, I, you know, I think you can really see that there is a need for this book because there aren't as many female uh, writers, speakers, leaders. Um, and that's I can see that that's something that you are really passionate about kind of correcting. Oh, that's, again, really kind. And you're right. One of the things I, I was trolled about was the self-promotion of my books. Um, and someone said, I'm fed up of seeing her <laughs> go on about retrieval practice or something. But when you spend so much time and you invest in this book uh, or, or anything, an article, even anything, something that you do and the intention is to share it with other people, then you've, you've got to get it out there. And it's already quite difficult to do that, to, to try and, you know, promote your book and, and big up your book. It's difficult. But then when other people start to to mock you for that and put you down, and, and there is a lot of that. And the stuff with the conferences is really interesting because I wrote a thread on Twitter today mm -hmm. about my experience speaking at conferences as someone who, who was pregnant because I've got a four-month-old baby. And I've had some amazing experiences. Research Ed particularly um, when I spoke at Research Ed Stockholm, they they asked me, is there anything that they can do to help? And I said, well, actually, yes, I would prefer to speak in the morning because I'm tired in the afternoon. They put me on the ground floor next to the bathroom, which was really helpful because I was seven months pregnant. And they did all these amazing things. And then there was another event I went to speak at and there was loads of other speakers there. And um, they sent all the speakers an email saying, um, the parking is very limited, it's mainly for staff, but there's another car park about just over a mile away and you can you can walk, it's fine, it's a nice walk. And again, I was eight months pregnant, so I don't usually make special requests, but said, please, could you reserve me a parking space? Um, and they said no. And I they knew I was pregnant and I expressed my concerns that I'm already a bit I get tired a lot easily. I walk slowly. I've got my laptop bag. And that was really bizarre that 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 was not accepted. But what makes it even worse was when I was speaking at this event, I spoke to another speaker um, who, who was there, someone I know. He's at lots of the conferences, author. And um, I told him about this. I told him um, my partner took a day off work just so he could drop me off at the conference. He hung around all day and then took me home. And this male speaker felt terrible because he'd asked for a parking space and they gave it to him. And we couldn't get to the bottom of why. And the I passed it on afterwards and tried to find out why. And there was no response. And I don't know if it is because he's like a bigger name or got more followers. But you just wouldn't think that these things are still happening. And at that event, I know the prices that speakers were paid varied hugely. And then that's another thing that's really difficult because people don't want to talk about pay and say what they get paid and they don't. So it's, it's all very secretive. And then the, the difference is huge. I was a keynote speaker uh, at an event and I was just grateful at this point to be asked. And there was another I was the opening and there was a closing keynote speaker. 
And it was only until we had the emails to thank us that I had realized this person was getting paid and I was doing it for free. And they were getting paid. So they had a thousand pounds that they were paid and, and I just did it for free. And at that point, um, I spoke to uh, Vivian from uh, Women at Ed's and she said, yeah, but Kate, you, you should have asked for a fee. And I, I just didn't think like I didn't. I was still teaching. I was just doing these things on the side. But it was the fact that we both did the same thing, the, the keynotes, and that it was just like, thank you, Kate, and this other person, and this other person, um, you know, will make the payment and so on. And I was just like, this is really happening. So I, you know, that's why like we do have to have these conversations that are not happening that some people probably don't want us to have either. Um, but they're really important. I messaged you last week, Kate, and said I was about 15 pages in and I was knocked back by seeing some of the stories written. And it's a similar feeling now because, you know, we know these things happen, but I don't know how con conscious we are sometimes. Certainly, you know, speaking for myself, you know, it's almost as if without hearing it like this, it's difficult to comprehend, if that makes sense. And so it's really important, I think. Yeah, I think the book is really honest and I'm really grateful for the other women who've contributed case studies um, in the leadership chapter. There's a brilliant case study from someone I used to work with called Morgan, and she's very open about the fact that she was a senior leader. Um, and then she had her third child and went back to classroom teacher, always with the hope of going back up to leadership. But getting back into leadership was just so difficult. In an interview, they were saying, well, why did you step down? And there was suggestions that, well, you're not cut, cut out for it. And, and well, your family life. And she really regrets doing that because she is now back in senior leadership, but she, she you know, there was times where she said that she was unsuccessful and she didn't think she, she'd be able to get back to that. And she said, so actually that is the advice I'm saying. If you, if you do want to become a head, and you're an assistant or deputy and they think, oh, well, I'll just go, you know, a classroom teacher, go part time for a bit because I've got other things going on. So just be prepared. That's going to be a tough old slog to get back up there. And then we've got case studies uh, about, um, you know, a woman struggling with fertility and applying for jobs when she was pregnant. And, you know, just even just thinking, what's the point in me applying for this job? Because as soon as they see this baby bump um i won't be successful and that happens to a lot of women and um there's also a, a case study about a teacher who experienced domestic violence and there's all the stats in there about how common domestic violence is more so with women as the victims and then we think about how many women are in the teaching profession and sadly there's been some very high profile cases as well of teachers who have been murdered they've been in the news and it's it's awful but yet we don't talk about this or even think about it really in a, when we have our safeguarding training or anything like that. And the case study in the book, the message that came through was that, you know, she had to go teach and with a black eye and there were times where she was taking time off work because, you know, of her injuries. And when she did open up, the comments were really judgmental. Like, well, why would you stay with him? You know, women are stupid if they stay in an abusive relationship. And it's like, well, actually, it's more complex than that. You know, there could be this hope that the person changes and you forgive them and you love them. Could be that there's children. Could be that you feel like you've got nowhere else to go. Um, 
so the, they're just things that I haven't I haven't really seen or, or heard being discussed about, but that you know are happening, unfortunately, uh, to women in schools in education. Those stories, they're the thread that run through it. You know, I think actually, to be honest, it's it's something you've got down really well, Gate over the cross of your books is you're telling people stories and then you're trying to get out with the with the message. Um, and yeah, I think so. I think I think dedicating time to discussing as long you know as long as you're comfortable discussing it has yeah. been really important. I think because you know one of the things you said to me is you wanted men to, to um, empower women in education, and I think understanding is the is the first step, really, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really hope a lot a lot of men read this book, uh, especially male senior leaders um, and actually just from my own experience there's things that I've known I don't know anything about but let's say menopause I didn't know anything about menopause because I thought well that's way off I don't have to deal with that for a long time but then I was um, head of department and there's someone in, in my department who's going through the menopause so the more that I know about that the more that I can support uh, my colleague my team member have a bit more patience and the understanding. I don't know what it's like because I haven't been through that, but that same principle can apply to to the men in education. And they are in leadership positions and CEOs and line managers. And of course, we don't expect them to know exactly what it's like. And nobody would know exactly what pregnancy is like because it's different for every woman. Um, but to just sort of have this uh, increased understanding, I think it is really helpful. You're raising some issues that definitely need to be raised. And I think we've got better at talking about a lot of things, but this is still something that we're, we're not quite getting right. You skillfully walk the line between positive, supportive advice and a stark, challenging representation of the issues faced by women in education. Uh, this is like a demonstration of your own personal resolve and determination. And do you think that this type of resilience can be learned or developed? And if so, how can your readers go about this? Yeah, something I tried to do in the book is as well to celebrate my achievements. So I've written a book, this is how I did it. And you know, when I launched my podcast, this is how I did it. This, these are some tips. But I also tried to talk about the many failures I've had in my career, the job interview that I cried so much afterwards, um, the job that I didn't get that I thought I would get, all these these things and um and especially if you're a new teacher and or perhaps you're on social media you might just see the glory moments uh, and the highlights and and think oh why why am i failing in these things but trust me it's happening <laughs> to us all um and i do give some tips about resilience and i think uh one of the tips that i think is very important from my own experiences is about applying for an internal promotion. You need to think very hard about that because of the flip side. What if you don't get it? You know, they're great if you get it, great. But even if you do get it, your friendships might change. You might now then, you know, you're a senior leader, for example, and perhaps you don't want to be seen to be as friendly with this person because you, you know, or you might have to have more difficult conversations with them. So, and people might view you differently as well. Um, but then if you go for an internal promotion, like, like I did, I went for an intern, I went for in one particular school, um, quite a few uh, internal promotions didn't get them. And then it's that 
it's everyone knowing that you applied for it, you didn't get it, and, and feeling like a failure and, and embarrassment about, even though it's not embarrassing, but that's how I felt. And and then you've got to then work with somebody who's in that role that you wanted. Um, so you just need to think very carefully about uh, about your options as well. And if and the first chapter is about getting the right role, and the second chapter is about leadership, and all of those things have resilience uh, embedded throughout but they're things that I didn't think about I just thought well I'll go for it you know whatever and then I really struggled afterwards uh, with that and then another thing that um, I struggled with is a I did get a head of department position in another school but I got that job over an internal candidate so then that uh, that was really difficult right from the get-go so there's all these sorts of challenges that again, perhaps we don't think about, we might not consider, but they can make a really big impact in our day-to-day -day lives uh, in our school environment. Yeah, so it's almost like the prep you do, the work you put in in advance, helps you to build up that store because you've taken the steps that can almost relieve some of the pressure. Am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, I think it's about thinking about all the sort of different scenarios and and thinking about. Um, you know, possible outcomes and and what you really want. Uh, and actually, even if I had have been successful in that school, I still would have left anyway. It wouldn't really have changed. It wasn't the right school for me. I just um, will you know, probably talk about reflection, but it, it's something we all say, oh, let's reflect on our practice and so on. But actually getting down to it and taking that time to think really carefully or having a conversation with someone else um, and, and getting their advice or just getting it off your chest. The things that I just, I wish I'd have done more of. Um, and they, they perhaps would have made a big difference in my career. One of the lines that really stood out to me went along the lines of those same things that make us underdogs, make us compassionate to the needs of others. How important is this combination of reflection and empathy? And how prevalent do you think it is? Yeah, that's a great quote that um, Rachel Johnson, she's not Boris Johnson, she's, she's the CEO of Pixel. And um, she's author, also authored her own book about leadership. And I've, I've attended conferences, I've listened to her present, uh, and she's amazing. And she's also very honest and personal in the book. Um, she was in, she was a teacher, and then she had a senior position at Pixel, but her father was a CEO and, and he died and then she just became CEO immediately and then this is all happening and her, her mother also died and she's going through COVID and she's got small children and just all the sorts of challenges um, and, and that's why Rachel's a great example of talking about compassion and again even if we don't have those lived experiences to just to, to try our best to to be as supportive as we can. Um, I also say in the book that yes, women, I'd say be 10% braver, but let's be 10% kinder. Uh, and my partner said, why not 25% kinder or 50%? <laughs> but the, the concept is just, just that little bit more. And uh, something I'm working on myself, I'm still, you know, I could be, I'm very passionate about things and that's why I get a lot, a lot done and I'm very self-motivated, but my passion uh, means I'm not always as kind as I'd like to be. Somebody was critical about this book and they hadn't even read it. It was just a comment on social media. They got really defensive and 
and I and I thought, oh no, that's not what I write about. Actually, I need to take a step back here for a moment. Um, but this this the final chapter of the book is about supporting other women. And um, Shannon was at my launch party, and I, I read a little bit of the book there, and I I chose to read the section that said, we can't smash a glass ceiling on our own. We we do this together. And that's why men have got to read the book and uh, and and women, wherever, what stage you're at, whatever goals you have as well. And that's why learning about things that might not ever affect you are still really important. And it comes back to that with the with the compassion and, and with the empathy. But then there are some issues that I write about in the book that will affect somebody in your school for sure like a bereavement uh, I'm an ambassador for Winston's Wish charity and they are a bereavement charity for for young children who experience loss and they help their families now something that we really campaign for is for for lots of training for teachers to deal with bereavement because of whether you're primary whether you're secondary throughout your career you will work with a child who loses somebody it could be a grandparent, it could be a parent, it could be a sibling. You will work with colleagues who experience bereavement. You may excel yourself experience a bereavement. And it's one of those things that you think, I don't know what to say here. And there was a quote that Winston's Wish shared that said, uh, this this teacher, um, a student said that this, she went into school after her mum died and a teacher didn't mention it. Now, a teacher probably didn't mention it because they didn't want to make her cry. They didn't know what to say. But the student was really upset because she she was like, this is something huge. It's just happened to me. And my teacher didn't even acknowledge it. And again, maybe if we, we'd had sort of training about these things and we, we discussed these things and um, have conversations about things that, like Shannon said, we're starting to have conversations about, but we could do more. I think the bereavement one is a really good example because it's something that does happen to everyone at some point. You know, no one is immune to that. Um, and your point about being 10% kinder, I know I have been guilty, particularly on the internet, uh, of maybe just reacting and kind of not lashing out necessarily but reacting emotionally and then going oh I actually didn't need to handle that like that but I do think that's me one person on the internet reacting to something like you with that you know the the negative comment about your book things that are really personal and I think one thing that leaders in particular should take from this book that I took from it was that we are we are dealing with people we're dealing with humans that's that's our that's the business we're in we would expect certain behaviors from the the children and the pupils that we teach but we're not always good at modeling them and it doesn't take a lot to take a step back and before you respond or react or um kind of go oh you know that's not that important or it's just she's just emotional or heaven forbid saying something about someone being hormonal which I have definitely been on the end of before just taking a step back and going can, can I react in a different way can I help this person do I understand this can I empathize and that's something I think the book does a really nice job of of tackling 
because it we are we're really busy and I know we're all you know the, the intro to the the podcast talks about how we are time poor leaders are time poor teachers are time poor and it's sometimes really easy to overlook that those things but if you know that someone is going through something it's it's important to acknowledge it and it's important to react in a in a sensitive and kind way and sadly I often think women are on the receiving end of some kind of quite thoughtless responses from leadership or from colleagues and it's usually put down to things about emotions and ridiculous things like that and I I I hope that when people read this they can take away that as well that the importance of empathy and leading by example yeah I totally agree with everything you said and Every single person can say what you said, Shannon, that we, we all, there are all times, <laughs> that we've all experienced a time where we wish we'd have been kinder. And I actually do write in the book that people say it's not difficult to be kind and it isn't in a way, but there are times it is difficult to be kind. You might not like a colleague um, or you might be absolutely exhausted. You might be ill. There could be all sorts of things going on. So it's about, despite those things, still trying to be as kind as you possibly can and also reaching out and asking for help as well. I mean, the, the example I gave you about uh, when I was pregnant at a conference, I did tell them I was pregnant. And if I hadn't told them I was pregnant and I said, can I have a parking spot, please? They might think, Kate Jones, a diva, who does she think she is? <laughs> you know, and pe- people don't know, they, they can't help. But um, if, if we do try and be honest with each other, but then you've got to have the leadership to create an environment where people can be. And they're not scared to say, I just want to let you know this has happened to me. And, you know, I'm coming into work and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my absolute best, but I'm struggling. And they say that to their line manager or, or like somebody said to me, you know, I'm going through the menopause. and It's, it's really tough. It's affecting me. Uh, and then then we can help uh, and be supportive and that that little bit kinder. Because we were trained to be teachers, we see quite a, a lot of the. I don't know, stereotypical leadership styles employed. I think that's a big part of the issue is that what you perceive leadership to be and what it could potentially be, there's almost like a disconnect between the two. A really clear outline as to what's possible could make a huge difference in the world of education because leaders are learning on the hoof and really it's a it's a totally different skill set, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, again, it comes down to training, to conversations, um, to, to to getting these things out there in the open. Um, and, you know, I'm very fortunate that lots of women came forward. I shared my stories, but other women did. And this, like I said, there's things that I would be totally unaware of and I wouldn't even think about. I have um, hearing loss in one ear. I didn't always have that. It was uh, hearing damage. And then teaching with hearing loss was really hard. And then I had a hearing aid and I struggled with that. And now I go to conferences and I sit up at the front and things like that. But I never would have thought about that only now that I'm experiencing it. So there'll be lots of other things that I haven't experienced that leaders will never experience. But but the more that we get these on the agenda, that we get them talking, that we raise awareness about these things, some are more common than others. So the bereavement training obviously is a lot more important than perhaps how to support someone with hearing loss because there might not be any staff with that. But the other thing is with the bereavement training, that is a difficult one to have because it 
someone might get upset by it. So I understand that. But we shouldn't have that when, for example, let's say somebody has died, right? Let's have the training now. Let's have the, you know, this is tough, this training. And we, perhaps there's ways that you could do it. That is, here's um, Winston's Wish to free online training. And they might say, we'd like everybody to do this, but if you want to do this in the comfort of your own home, if you, if it will trigger you or anything like that, then that's fine. One of the requests I made, so this school where I wasn't getting any promotion, it just wasn't happening, and I didn't get any feedback as to why, but the very first um, first time I applied for a job, I didn't get it, and, and it was an internal one. I just had an email that was generic to all the people who got it, who didn't get the, you know, good morning, you've been unsuccessful, you know, in this role, but please, you know, don't hesitate to apply again in the future. And I just, and I was, that was about five to nine. And I was just about to go and do registration. And I just started crying in the toilet. And I was like, oh, I've got it. I've got to teach now. And it was just ridiculous. And when I got interviewed the second time, and at the end, they said, do you have any questions about this role? I said, no, but can I make a request? I said, if I'm not successful, or actually, even if I am successful, then the other candidates, can you perhaps not email it me? Well, it would be better to tell me in person, but if you're going to email me, could you email me, you know, at the end of the working day? And then I can go home and, and deal with that because I put a lot of effort into this application. I'd really like this job. And they didn't take my advice. I got an email again <laughs> to say I was unsuccessful. So we've got to learn from mistakes made, advice given. Uh, we've got to give each other feedback and be able to act on that. Otherwise, we just we won't get anywhere, will we? So I did. Yeah, obviously, I left that school. <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that that's a really interesting example, because quite often when uh, people, particularly women, make requests like that or suggestions, it, it would it's put down as they're just making a fuss. Oh, it's just an unnecessary fuss. No one's had a problem before. And and it can give you a bad name and it gives it gives women a bad name because actually it's not about the fact that we're making a fuss. We're just trying to make it a more comfortable situation. And sadly, I think often that is what happens to women. And, uh, you know, I think that I just wish people would read this book and just try and get a bit out of it. On that... How do you think readers can get the most from this book? And and how, do you think the answer is different for different groups of people? Well, that's a great question. And it's a type of book you could just read in one sitting. But I do think, or I hope it's a book that people go back to. So the first chapter is about securing the right role. Well, you might already be in the right role in the right school. So, you know, whilst it's interesting to read, it's not that relevant to you. But two years later things might have changed you might be ready for the next step in your career something could have happened in the school so hopefully that could be a chapter that you go back to you could be a, an early career teacher and therefore the leadership chapter with examples from Rachel the CEO and Morgan the senior leader might not be you know, relevant to you right now but again something to come back to um, and another really key message that I, I try to get through all the way throughout the book is that, yes, leadership, you know, that's great. Let's have more female leaders. But success doesn't just mean leadership. And I, I do think I'm a really good example of that. I, I, When I was a head of department, I didn't enjoy it that much. There was a lot about the job that I didn't enjoy. 
I much prefer writing books and having book lunch parties <laughs> um, and doing podcasts and things like that. There are things that I enjoy a lot more. And there's alternatives to leadership. It doesn't just have to be, I mean, first of all, if you want to remain in the classroom, that is still, you're still a very successful teacher. You can keep learning and improving. So absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you do want more, then there's all these other options available. And with Routledge, they give the, you have to do a sort of, um, I write about this again in the writing, um, a chapter section. You have to do a, a submission, a summary of the book and what you're going to include. And there's anonymous reviewers. And one of the reviewers said, I couldn't write this book on my own, that I needed um, a CEO or a head teacher to, to co-author the book with me. Now, it's anonymous. I don't know who it is, but... And I just wanted to prove that point. There you go. You know, you're basically saying I'm not successful enough because I'm not the CEO of a trust. But I've published X amount of books. I've been a keynote speaker internationally. You know, I've set up my own website. I've done this. I've done that. There's lots of experiences that I have that I can share. But it's this very narrow view that leadership is the only way that you can be successful in education. And I mean, Look at you both. You know, you're both really successful and you've gone on and done other things. I authored a book, set up a podcast. You both spoke at events internationally. Hugely success, successful and rewarding. So if leadership isn't for you, that there are so many other things that you can do. I'm horrified by that <laughs> review of your proposal. And I've done a few proposal reviews for Routledge uh but I promise that one was not me oh no <laughs> don't worry no I mean I... It, it's good no. that they said that because I put it in the book I actually put it in the book I put it in the introduction um to say you know somebody did say this and that just highlights my argument that they think well yeah you know you haven't been a CEO so you you know you're not qualified to write a book well, there's a chapter on social media, which I'm on far too much social media. There's a chapter author in a book. You know, there's a chapter about public speaking. I don't, and, and the, where there were gaps in my experience or knowledge, that's where I got Rachel, the CEO, and I asked Morgan, and there's, uh, there's Jazz, the public speaker, there's Sonia Thompson, the head teacher in there. So, of course, I've done everything, <laughs> but that's where I could shine a spotlight on other women in education and I have authored a book but I still included Hayley Hughes as a as a case study because her experience is different to mine and her books are different and the process and so on so yeah it was interesting that but it just sort of fueled me a little bit more to to push through with yeah leadership is 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 one route there's there's other paths I've been told in the past that reviewer number two is chosen on purpose as someone who's not likely to like your book. <laughs> so you're so when Shannon's doing it, I'm assuming she's the person who's been chosen that will like the books, <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So when I read that, I thought, oh, I wonder if it was reviewer number two that. Uh... <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it's 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 good because I said it it reflects attitudes. You know, I wrote a book with Robin McPherson called The Teaching Life. Uh, and Robin and I have explored this. I don't think I will ever be a head teacher, being honest. I I love everything that I'm doing now. I, I mean, I work for evidence-based education. I'll get back in the classroom and I'll probably be part-time and so I can still write and, and have a balance with my family life, my daughter. But 
and I'm not, I don't want to say I'll never be a head teacher, but it's not something right now that I aspire to. Or I ever have really. And I'm okay with that. And for other people to say, well, you should do this. No, I don't have to. I, I can, you know, I'm smashing a different type of ceiling. <laughs> I think it's interesting that the, the kind of default glass ceiling that people are expecting women to smash is, is that leadership one. And I, I work in a trust where our, our CEO is female and our we've got two directors who are female. And we've got, I think we counted the other day, nine out of 11 head teachers are female. And I think that's fantastic. And I'm so proud that that's, that's the split that we have that does kind of mirror the, the workforce. But you're right, there are so many other ways that we can be successful. And like you said, it, it, it can be staying as a classroom teacher. You can just be the best possible teacher. And it, it doesn't need to be racing to the top. There's loads of stuff we can do out there. And I, I particularly liked the bit about um, leading and delivering CPD because that's something that everyone, probably at some point, particularly if you're a primary teacher, you're probably going to have to do it at some point unless you work in the biggest school. And I think, you know, you're you're giving a breadth of possibilities and a breadth of glass ceilings rather than saying, this is how you become the head teacher as a woman. Because yeah. I think that that's a conversation that has has happened before. Absolutely. The leading CPD chapter. Well, if you're leading CPD about teaching and learning, the best people to hear from are the classroom teachers where they can say, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've been reading about. This is what I'm really interested in. This is what's worked. This is what hasn't worked. That could be in your school environment, just or it could be then starting to to branch out at the research ed conferences uh, or it could be you know that we talk about a side hustle and and there's amazing women in education doing it like jennifer webb i mean she's incredible i mean she's a teacher she's a senior leader she's an author she does her webinars she's got a whole cpd platform going on and, and there's just there's, there's lots of uh, of women like that but there are still times and events where there's no women represented there so it's it's still um, it's still a difficult one. When I was at Research Ed Chile, there were four keynote speakers and they were women, and I I you know I did praise them for that. And it wasn't something they said they actually did intentionally. They just these were the speakers that they wanted. And I said, well, no, that's great as well. Of course, that you you know you wanted us there, but I'm just saying it's it's not something that we see all the time. And neither should we actually mention still be speaking at conferences. <laughs> and that's another thing I do say in the book. We've got I uh, shine a spotlight on Moss McGill because he authors books with other te female teachers and he uses his huge following of, I don't, you know, loads and loads of Twitter followers. And he might author a book with somebody else who doesn't have that following. Um, and uh, there's Patrick who writes a case study in the book, what he does to support women. So it's not not at all about bringing men down or not having men at conferences, but it's just about us being there too. I open every research ed talk by saying I've been basically avoiding becoming a head teacher for the last eight or nine years. So I'm 100% on board with this message because, you know, teaching itself, I will go back into the classroom at some point because once you get good at it, it's so much fun. So, you know, it's it's fantastic to to see all these different ways. And, you know, what I find is that one thing leads to another, doesn't it? You know, I'm sure whenever you wrote your first book, then that led to different things. I don't know, articles, and then an article becomes a presentation, that kind of thing. Um, and then as a person, you can decide what direction you want to go in. 
Um, yeah, so I'm hundred percent. Uh, yeah, I, I really get, I really get that message. And uh, yeah, I think anything we can do to support people and seeing those and seeing the different options they have, because you know they're they're countless at the minute. Yeah, it's an exciting time in education. It's exciting that there are classroom teachers writing books, and you go to conferences. There's people who, who, oh, it's a mixture of people, people who were experienced teachers, people who still are. Then there's, there's, there's people like Paul Kirshner, who's an academic who actually publishes the research. He'll be at a conference with teachers. Um, but all of those things, if you are interested in them, they are all connected. So, for example, if you were to write a blog, well, you can't just write the blog and, and just hope someone will find it on the Internet. You've, you've got to do other things to, to get it out there. Um, and that's where, and like I said, the people who are at conferences, they do tend to do the CPD in their school or their trust, and they do like to write articles and, and all of these things really are connected. But interesting, you said about being a head teacher, a few men I've spoken to in primary say that they get asked a lot of questions, well, when will you become a head teacher? And they said, I've, you know, their female colleagues haven't had the same questions asked to them. Um, so it, again, it's interesting in, in well, primary and secondary, um, and it's great, Shannon, your trust about the female leaders. But I remember in my, this is me as a, a student in primary school, we had two head teachers, what one head teacher, he was great. Then he left and he was replaced by an external candidate. They were both men and the rest of the staff were all women. And then the head teacher came to visit us from the secondary school and it was a woman. I, said, I thought head teacher meant man. Like I thought it was a male thing. As a child, I thought that. I'd only seen two male head teachers. And then I thought all the classroom teachers were women. So again, there's lots of reasons why, you know, the representation. And, and there shouldn't be that pressure that you're a man in primary. Therefore, you have to be head teacher. You can absolutely be a man in primary school and be a classroom teacher uh, and enjoy teaching. I was working with a maths lead this morning and they said to me that the CPD bit was the bit they struggle with. And I thought, I've got just a chapter for you. So I'm <laughs> on there. Uh, I see them again on Friday and I'm going to give it to her and say, you know, this is very, you know, please bring it back. <laughs> His kids written a very nice message in it. But uh, yeah, have a, have a read at, at this. Another quote that really stood out to me was one about Fear of sounding arrogant or the lurking imposter syndrome can lead to a modest application that isn't a true reflection of your capability or potential. And I imagine this is something that's quite prevalent. How can listeners strike the balance between the two, you know, between arrogance and I don't know, imposter syndrome, between confidence and arrogance? And is it better to veer towards almost like a pretend arrogance? To overcome imposter syndrome? Well, I think really you just you you obviously got to be completely honest and think very carefully about the things you write. So, for example, if you are a hardworking person, then put that down, but be prepared that that's what they will expect of you if you get the job. You know, all the things you say you are are they things that you can do and you can deliver on. Um, I'm Shannon was about launch and I did say that in my first interview I exaggerated about being fluent in Welsh and thinking because it was a history role uh, but it was a school in Wales and I, and I was just desperate for the job so when she's like oh Welsh and I was like yeah fluent I'm, I am an able Welsh speaker but 
fluent is a stretch and uh, then yeah I did get t- I had to teach Welsh for six years <laughs> so we don't want to lie or, or over exaggerate on our CV because you know that obviously will come back to bite us but it's worth asking somebody else as well to have a look at your letter, have a look at your CV, someone who knows you, and they can say, well, actually, you're this and you're that. And and I find it helpful to look at other people's if they let you, the application and their CV. Um, something we should do, and this came, this is advice that my friend Robin, uh, he, my previous co-author, he's a head teacher, he said regularly update your CV. Even if you're not applying for another job elsewhere, have your CV as a living document. And if you've just done something, then add to it because you uh, and, and I can recall this. I was at the same school in North Wales for six years. Didn't really at one point have any intention of leaving. It's one of those schools you could teach at for life. And then years later, when I was uh, applying for jobs, my CV was completely out of date. And I was thinking, well, what have I done? Um, and I wasn't quite sure. And I had lots of doubts. But if you stay on top of that and, and keep some sort of record, then then you've you've got that evidence there. And actually, what you know, you're, you're not an imposter. You're, you're telling the truth. And if you don't big yourself up, you can guarantee the other people that you're going to be up against, they will be as well. So it really is a time to shine. And it, it is tough for some people to do that. Um, and and to to think and reflect but it's about having a self-awareness as well uh, about understanding your strengths and your weaknesses you know that old line of what's your weakness well I work too hard (laughs) come on you know (laughs) like that or you know I have no work-life balance because I'm working all the time that actually is a genuine weakness because then you don't want to model that to other people but you do you do need to be uh, uh brutally honest with yourself and then when you're at the interview you are your authentic self and and that imposter syndrome it it does creep it creeps in now with me with with this book I actually haven't been a speaker at the women ed events and stuff they're sort of like you know they're, they're brilliant and Vivian wrote the forward to my book but I wouldn't really say I'm part of that community and I think there was a part of me that thought why is she, you know, will people think, why is she writing this? That's not her thing. You know, she writes about retrieval practice. And and I had those doubts creep in. Um, it does help me when those doubts come. I talked to my partner, Jeff, and he's he's not a teacher, but, and obviously he's biased because he's my fiance, but he also does help me and reassure me and tell me, well, actually, no, Kate, come on. Uh, and he does help me to understand. So I think it's... Um, it's not necessarily about uh, the arrogance. It's about th- think about your qualities, your skills, your experiences. Think about if you get that job, that is what people will expect of you. And can you do that? And if you can, then then it's a true application of you and a true reflection of you. While we're on Jeff, I have, I have to mention oh. how wonderful his speech was at the book launch it was so lovely and I think having that person in your camp is so important someone who's going to big you up and remind you that you have done some incredible things because oh, you have. he's amazing but I mentioned before how he took a day off work to take me to a conference because I wouldn't give me a parking space and he shouldn't have had to do that you know and there's other things like um he's taken time off work uh for me to go to Chile because it was a 14 hour flight 
and it was too far for my, my little baby. And, you know, I think there's quite a lot we need to do to support men with paternity rights and so on. And that's not, not a criticism of his workplace at all. It's, it's in general um, about having that time. But yeah, I'm so lucky and to have Jeff, but I've had before Jeff, it was my, my parents and friends and, and the support network really is important. It comes back to that thing. You can't smash a glass ceiling on your own. We all there hammering away at it together. <laughs> yes, I, I really like that that kind of that image of actually it being more about the team around you and your support network than just you on your own because you're right. You you need other people to to build you up and support you and give you that little extra boost. And I I thought the the kind of it's interesting this arrogance and imposter syndrome thing because I think I flip between worrying that I'm coming across as arrogant if I say that I've done xyz and then actually going oh am I I actually good enough for this is this what they want I'm not sure I've only done this this and this and you know I was at um I can't remember if it was a research head or if I was delivering CPD in a school recently and um I have a, I had a I had a slide with some bits on it about me to kind of introduce myself and uh Neil said that you know that that slide's got loads of really like cool things on it and I think he was like it's amazing like you've got all that stuff and I went oh oh gosh am I coming across as as too much by saying you know I've written a book because I I find that really hard to say sometimes to remind to and I have to remind myself that it it's it's cool and I can I can mention it and I don't come across as as arrogant and it's just good to be confident in myself but sometimes I won't I won't tell people because I feel like I'm bragging that I've written a book or that you know little things like I I coach and I facilitate for a couple of for, for an MPQ with the Church of England but I feel like an idiot saying that to people because I think they're gonna go oh all right you know we get it, but I think, so we, I think we all need to be a bit prouder, don't we? And a bit yeah. more open. You're not alone there, Shannon. I think I'm a bit more comfortable now, but like I said, the self-promotion of books, people really struggle with that. And or an article or to say, I'm speaking at this conference. I'd like you to come and listen to me because I've got something valuable to say. And you just say, oh, I can't say that. And and we should, and 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 that's why you're there, though, Shannon. Why you're doing all these things, but we should be able to say them without a way of justifying it. Like, so, oh, I'm just going to tell you, I've done all this. That's why I'm, you know, because somebody did ask me very recently. Um, they said, why did they ask you to be keynote speaker in Chile? Oh gosh. So you know, I, I, I just, I, I said, why not? you know, and, and started to talk about what I talk about and stuff. But yeah, it's because we have reactions like that and comments. There are some people like that, but they're the ones in the wrong. Not not you for just sharing your achievements and, and great things that you've done and your experiences. Retrieval practice is the gateway into the evidence form stuff. And, you know, who better to ask? And I think Chile, from what I know, South American education is that's there at that position. Yeah. Where they want their, they're the very start of the journey that we were on, maybe a decade or so ago you know so you know yeah. without a doubt there's only one person you're going to ask to, to speak about that <laughs> that's very kind but you yeah. know that's that's these are sort of things the comments that get said 
Uh, and I also mentioned, uh, I was talking to Shannon about this at the weekend, and I mentioned this in the book, there's lots of unhelpful comments that I think women experience more, and one of them is about children. Before I met my partner, I, I didn't know if I would have children, you know, mid-30s, and it might not have been an option for me, and I was okay with that. I, was, I had a lot in my life that I was very happy with, but I had questions about that. And people say, come on, TikTok, you know, <laughs> like that, your biological clock's going. And and people, also other people saying, I'm a better teacher because I'm a parent. And, I've, and I'm no doubt that they have a different perspective and empathy and understanding. I won't take that away from anyone. But what benefit do you have from telling somebody that? Somebody who's in the classroom, who's doing their absolute best, I found that incredibly hurtful. And I also know women who have struggled with fertility and they've kept it private and they've had comments about that. But the flip side to that is the motherhood penalty, where then women, uh, if they're pregnant or they've got children, they're then overlooked for promotion or leadership because they're not seen as being dedicated enough or committed or they've got they've got family stuff going on. Uh, and I had that as well. I announced I was pregnant and, and someone on Twitter just wrote, no more books then. And I just thought, oh, here we go. And so, you know, it's like that Barbie monologue. You know, I don't know if you've seen the film Barbie, but there's a monologue about, you know, oh, God, women, we can't win. And there's a lot of truth in that monologue. So those comments are just uh, uh, very unhelpful, unkind and unnecessary. And I think what makes those comments worse sometimes is they often come from other women, don't they? Yes. I've I've actually not had those comments from men. So that's something else that's... Uh, and the, the case study about domestic violence, it was when she told her line manager, it was a woman. And it was a woman who said, well, you're the idiot for putting up with him. Yeah, and, you know, that's, that's such a shame. That's really disappointing. But that happens. And that's something we got to, again, recognise. So we've talked a little bit already about leading CPD, it being challenging, and how kind of taking the leap with this might be a hurdle for uh, many of your readers that they want to overcome. So what advice do you have for your readers who are keen to lead CPD? And probably more importantly, what might you say to those who can support them with that? Yeah. Well, first of all, the mistake I've seen in schools is someone's been asked, they said, will you deliver training on Rosenshine next week? And they oh, cognitive load theory. And they're like, oh, right, okay. Because I get messages saying can I have your retrieval practice slides I've got to do an insert and I don't really know much about it I said my slides are not going to help you you know you've got to have that knowledge and understanding and the interest and the enthusiasm as well so the the people who are leading CPD it should be about something you are of course knowledgeable about experience there are some benefits of saying I'd like you to deliver, to deliver training on cognitive load theory because but if you give someone time, you might say, right, you've got a term, you've got a year, here's some books, and you give them a project, and it might be something to inspire them, and you think that that would be good for them. But it, it depends. Um, I do think the best way to start with the CPD is internally. Um, and I think there's lots of barriers. Sometimes younger teachers may not want to do that because someone might be teaching, they've taught for, for 20 more years. But you've read this book or you've read this, you know, read around this area. And it just absolutely makes sense to share that with your colleagues. Um, 
some people find it more nerve-wracking to do it with your colleagues in, in contrast to outside of school it, it just it depends but how I started is because um, I worked in a school and retrieval practice wasn't well known there was like a few of us in the staff room talking about it but there was lots of it's fair to say outdated practices happening in that school um, and then the results for my students they were brilliant results and the results were very different to how they performed in other subjects and because I remember one student saying I thought retrieval practice was a history thing and they crammed for the subjects or didn't revise and that's what led me to do the retrieval practice is someone the head teacher said well how these results and what's the secret well there isn't a secret not my results but this is what I did and very happy to talk about it and then it just went on from there um but another if you're interested in delivering CPD I think another good thing to do the same way if you're interested in blogging is to watch other people or read their blogs so I went to lots of conferences as an attendee and I remember the sessions that I found really interesting and helpful and I also remember the sessions that weren't uh, great, if I'm honest. Um, and I tried to take that away. And the same with the blogging. I read lots and lots of people. I still read lots of blogs. And I think, oh, that was a really good blog. Why was that really good? Uh, and I reflect on that. So there's a lot that we can learn from other people who deliver the CPD um, in terms of how they do it, the approach to it and so on. But my other bit of advice would be really to like try not to be a complete jack of all trades. Um, I mean, you don't have to. I can do CPD on other topics outside of retrieval practice, but there are some topics. That, um, I was asked to do deliver training and dual coding. I said no. Whilst I'm aware of dual coding and I've read books, I no, it's not for me. I said, tell you what, here's Adam Boxer's research ed presentation. Watch that. Get in touch with him he's amazing and it's just about having that awareness of of your own skills your own knowledge your own experience and then sharing that with others but also knowing you know i i did attend a, a cpd session about the science of learning and they said um space practice was when you get students to put two lines between their written work and space out their work and i just thought my ears were going to bleed because obviously as you know that's not space practice um, and I very kindly gave that, like I say kindly, I mean, I tried to be kind with it. I didn't heckle them. I just tried to say, look, that's not space practice. Here's something. But that was that was CPD I paid for as well. So there's a lot of questions that, you know, about quality assurance in the CPD. And if you are investing the time, then absolutely, you know, you charge for a webinar. But you've got to make sure that, that you've got a responsibility and a duty if you're helping other teachers you you've got to get it right and do do your absolute best i do think that the space the space practice example is terrifying but i do it's probably also indicative of a lot of those lethal mutations where people say well i've read a bit about this or i've heard this name i must know what i'm doing it's the the example i always give when i'm out doing walkthroughs training the example i always give for lethal mutations is cold calling because people hear it and assume they know what that means and then they give people the wrong information so I think that that point about giving CPD and the things that you know a lot about is important and also not feeling like you you have to be giving CPD at a certain point in your career mm -hmm. just 
you know, you're right, especially if people are paying, are paying for it, it needs to be of the highest quality and it needs to be stuff that people are going to genuinely take things away from that they can use rather than questionable things like the space practice comment. Yeah, that wasn't, that, that was a difficult one. <laughs> um, but when people have said to me, oh, I'd like to do what you do. Well, um, like I said, I attended conferences. I've been doing this stuff for years it it really didn't happen overnight and um the same was true with you two being asked to speak you know at conferences in germany you've been you've been honing your practice you've been working on it it, it you really have got to have patience you probably will have to do lots of free speaking events and travel places and take do it in your own time but if that's your goal like that's something you want to do then it is really worth investing that time and effort and then you can get the benefits of that later yeah i reckon my first conference on a saturday was 2017 maybe earlier and but it wasn't it was 2020 before i spoke yeah and so i would just go and watch and listen and then i think yeah i can't remember why maybe it was lloyd we in cumry asked me and lloyd and I, I don't think it was because of me i think it was because of lloyd and i just sort of tagged along for the night and then after that there sort of thought, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, Shannon, in terms of, like, the support, I feel like I nag you a lot to do talks and things. That's probably not the best way to support someone and get involved in this kind of thing. <laughs> what what sort of support would you like from someone? Well, you say that's not maybe the most helpful, but it did give me the, the kick up the bum that I needed, I think. Um, you know, you, you set me a goal at Research Head National a couple of years ago now saying I expect you to be talking next year and then I spoke before that because I spoke at a research head in Berkshire so I, I beat the goal I think a bit of kind of sharing what goes on behind the scenes when you're writing CPD when you're leading up to CPD you know Kate you've obviously read extensively around retrieval practice and that's why you're able to talk about it so easily and fluently and you know you can reference things and Kieran you can reference things as well that always blows my mind um that people can say oh well, actually in this painful or this person in this year said this um but I do think maybe sitting with someone or shadowing them slightly and saying right just talk me through your process you've got a talk coming up this is the brief or this is what you want to convey so how much reading has gone into this how much work has gone into this just so just so someone knows what that what's going on. I know that I've had similar comments, um, Kate, probably less than you, obviously, because I've been doing it for less time, but of people saying, well, I'd really like to, to do this, or I've got an idea for a book, how do you do it? And I kind of go, oh, well, you know, there is, there's a lot of work behind it. There's a lot of thinking. I'm not discouraging people, but it, I think a uh, a skilled speaker probably makes it feel quite effortless and it seems like something that's quite natural and authentic, but really you know everything that you're going to say. Kieran, I know that you are, you're incredible at like knowing exactly the words that you're saying. I'm a bit more fast and loose with my presentations and I do get my my point across, but I know that, you know, I watch you and you're really skilled at it. And I think, no, you are. <laughs> but um, 
I, I do think that pe- giving people kind of an insight into that, opening the window and saying, look, come and sit with me or come and do it with me, a bit like when we, you know, team teaching, we'll do team speaking or something, something that sheds the light on it, but doesn't make them feel like they've got to to do it all on their own all of a sudden. And also, I just, I do think the the kick up the bum you gave me was was necessary because otherwise I may have just sat there and just enjoyed lots of research heads being nils plus one for the next 10 years. <laughs> uh, and I, I get such a, a high off of presenting and I feel so good about it. And it's funny, Kate, actually you said about sometimes it's harder doing it in front of your colleagues. And I, I know 100% that when I'm at a research head or I'm delivering training for walkthroughs, I, I know I'm better. Don't know why it is. Maybe it's just a a nerves thing. But I, I know that I, in front of a room of strangers, I, I really do perform. But maybe in front of my colleagues, I'm a bit more nervous about getting something wrong or fluffing a word or feeling silly or feeling like feeling like I'm arrogant because I'm getting up and I'm saying I know something. Um but I, I think having people around you who will champion you and say, no, you can do this is really important. You can't underestimate um, the value of of having some cheerleaders. And the fact that Kim, you are doing this, this is amazing because it, the, I know people who've organised events and they've wanted more female representation. They just have struggled to get the speakers. You know, there was there were women who turned down the opportunity to be in my book because they just didn't feel they had something to share and I did I genuinely believed that I was like I want to include this and and so on and you know we can't always criticize um we, we can call things out and we can say well look why isn't there you know you've got a panel of of, of 10 men they women they call it a man or we can say okay where are the women but then we have, there are, I know there are event organisers who try and have representation, but people can be reluctant to. So we've, you know, I say there should be more women in the book charts, there should be more women at conferences, but we've got to put ourselves out there. You know, and that might be a, you, you are encouraging a friend or encouraging a colleague, asking people or saying, what can I do to support you, to help you if this is something you'd like to do, but is there a barrier? that's stopping you um so so we've got to you know if we want a seat at the table we've got to we've got to get to the table ourselves we've got to you know try and take charge and control and, and put ourselves out there and there's lots of different ways that we can do that and get our voices heard i think that's really powerful like i say, i think because i was thinking about that person who asked about the cpd really the best way to help them is to like you said shannon sort of Put it all out on the table. This is the effort that goes into this, you know. Because you're you're talking about my what do you call it? You call it sneaky preparedness, um. Where you know I I I speak in a way that makes it sort of aloof, as if I haven't prepared, but I really have. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I, I remember, um, one of my colleagues had to see the same talk three times, and it was only the third time that I realized I was telling the exact same jokes, <laughs> it's the exact same points of this thing. So, it does take a lot of, you know, you, you know, you, yeah, a lot of effort. And <laughs> that's a long way of saying that. In Smashing Glass Ceilings, you write extensively about the ways that we can support women in education. 
do you, I mean, my first recommendation is that people read that, the the sort of, is it the final, possibly penultimate chapter as a starting point? But do you have any guiding principles that readers can use to maintain their focus on making a positive contribution? Yeah, I think um, that that was actually going to be the first chapter because it's so important, but it's something that I reference all the way throughout. And then I just try and bring bring it all together. So it, it isn't just about men supporting women. It's like Shannon and I have said about some of the comments we've had from other women. So it's about women supporting other women, supporting people at different stages of their career. You know, that those early years can be absolutely brutal and really tough. Um, the other thing, I was uh, an advisor. I was on the advisory board. Sorry, it's basically like like being a governor. And the head teacher had some really frank, honest conversations with me and sort of opened up about how lonely that is at the top as, as well and the challenges. And he, he was able to ask me questions. I, was able, I didn't work at his school. I could give him some really honest feedback and support and advice. So... It, the responsibility we we of course say about leaderships being aware of menopause and bereavement and and all the you know issues and so on so they can support others but then who supports the leaders as well so it really is it's like a circle isn't it about of us all su supporting one another uh, and recognizing that there is the need to do that um and we were talking about public speaking. I my speech at the weekend. I was so I did a little speech, and I was so nervous because I do the retrieval stuff all the time, and I've never done this speech before. But something that I wanted to try and do was talk about the book, but also talk about the people in the room. You know, just shine a spotlight on them, acknowledge them, just show my thanks and my gratitude. And I I think I'll take that into the next school that I go to. Uh, just try and just be as supportive as I can and learn about um, I also have a family member um, and she's trans and I lived uh, internationally when I came back I didn't really be honest I didn't know much about the trans community and there were lots of things that I just totally had no idea about um, uh, and one of the things when my family member first said, you know, we were all like, well, we love you. We'll do whatever we can. And I kept using their old name. And obviously that's really distressing and really difficult. But she was understanding. She she realized for years that she's had this name and now she no longer has that name. And she's brilliant at talking to me about this and educating me. And I wanted to put it in the book, not because I'm an expert, uh, uh, about the trans community because I'm I'm not, but I'm making an effort to to try so that I can be an ally, so that I can be supportive. Um, so learning is at the heart, I think, uh, of being supportive and understanding. Is finding out more, is asking the right questions, or or you know having the training and having the awareness and so on. There'll always be blind spots and things that we're not aware of and but also on the flip side having that like my family member she does understand that she did understand that you know I had questions there was things I wasn't sure about and so on and I used uh, her old name I said and she said that's not my name now I said yeah I know but you wear that name back then because I was talking to, about them as a child and again she, no you don't do that even though I was that name this time you know dead call and dead naming 
And uh, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean any offense by that. I just thought you were this person before and now you're this person now. I just thought, no, that's not how it works. So, you know, it's like, okay, we're really honest. We're really open. We're learning. I'm trying my best. She's helping me get there. And that's just, just one of many examples. Um, but like I said, just being open to learning, open to caring and understanding. There were, you know, and I'll never name and shame, but there were some men who uh, I asked to review the book who said it wasn't their thing. Right? And they, because smashing glass ceilings empowering women education and they thought i know they thought it was a book uh for women which it is but uh, men need to read this as well bruce robertson's a head teacher he read and reviewed the book and he gave me some great feedback saying you know i'm i lead female staff i work with with women every day i found this really interesting this is something i i didn't know about i thought about uh, I was like, well, that's absolutely, you're the type, you know, of leader that I want to work with that that is willing to learn and engage. And then it was only a small minority, but there were there were a few people who said, but that's that's a women's book. That's women's stuff. Not for me. And I just thought, no, come on, we need to we need to move on from that. I like you reading it as well. Kim, you reading it, giving me feedback that you found it interesting. Uh, so, you know, grateful. And that's another example of how you could take things away from this as well. There are definitely times when there are conversations that I don't feel qualified to comment on, or, you know, when people are talking about their experiences and things that I haven't experienced, but it, it was pretty apparent, you know, pages into this book, how important it could be, you know, and, and that's not me just saying that, uh, you know, I, I genuinely finished in the weekend because I was like, right. Okay. I need, I need to, I need to learn more about this. And also because of the power of the, of the story run through it, you know, so. I find it difficult to understand that that could be the position adopted. I mean, obviously, I don't know where the where the people are coming from, but I I do think that the more people who who read this book and who act on your message, I mean that that message there, you know, it's simple, but it it's really really powerful. It's you know, try and consider how you can support. You know, and if, if you use it as your as your starting point, even if you ask that question, even if you said. Well, I don't I don't have knowledge or experience in this. Is there anything I could do to help you? Is there anything you want me to know? You know, just the basic things like that that you know could make a big difference. It's that it, yeah, the willing willingness to ask, willing willingness to learn more and knowing the people that you have in the room, knowing the people that are in the building, knowing like truly getting to know them, getting to know their strengths, their interests. And I think that's a huge part of, of um, being a leader and a, you know, a supportive colleague is taking time to think about, oh, there's this opportunity. This would be great for this person, male or female, whatever. It's it's about empowering people, and sadly, historically, women are the people that have have not been as empowered, um, which is why this book's so important. But it it really, I think, it just sends the message of generally get to know the people that you've got, spend time thinking about them, spend time talking to them, asking how you can support them. I, I know that. Um, like one of our directors, or actually both both of the directors I'm thinking of in our trust, we've got a few, but the two women I'm thinking of, um, they really know the staff that we have in our schools. And we have, 
you know, 11 schools, but I could name someone and they would go, oh yeah, that person, that person does this, don't they? Yeah. And it, it's being able to do that, I think is, is part of, part of the, the, the journey towards being able to support and empower women in education is knowing what makes people tick, knowing what people are good at, giving people opportunities, shouting people out. Like you you talked about your um, your speech at the weekend, Kate. You know, I wasn't expecting to get a shout out. Suddenly my name was being mentioned and it made me red and it was nice. But that sort of thing of going, you really took time to think about the people you had there and make sure that they felt acknowledged and, and valued and special. And, and that's what we all need to be doing more of. And naturally, like even just in this conversation this evening, I'm sat thinking there's a there's a couple of people that I need to make sure I, I do this for because I know that that we've got incredible people in my school and in my trust and in my kind of friendship group who I think I could be better with and better for. So hopefully everyone else has been able to reflect as well on this. I think that's that's a lovely way to end it. To do say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Kate. Oh, thank you so much. It's been take thanks for taking time to read the book and to talk to me about it. I really appreciate your support. No, I mean it's it's absolutely our pleasure. Um, and hopefully you'll join us again in the future with the you know what's the next book going to be about? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> I am. I'm I'm working on two at the moment. So, but I will try and, and really enjoy maternity leave as well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, try and get some sleep. That's what I try to do. (laughs) Thank you very much, Shannon. Thank you for having me back. I know that you ask me more often than I say yes, but this one was very important. Well, let's hope it's not too long before you're back again, Shannon. And Maybe you you can come on for a regular section where you talk about your book and one of the tasks in your book every week. You know, Shannon's Corner. We got uh, battleships and that kind of thing going on. Let's not get carried away. (laughs) Too late. I've been formulating all the way through this. And to everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening.